I don't know if this phrase is one that's too old for, for teens nowadays. I don't know if it's technically before my time. Uh, but when I was younger, I heard a lot of uh, the phrase, uh, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and I'm sure a lot of you have, have heard that before. Um, but again, I don't know how popular that is now. Um, unfortunately, the Joneses have been replaced with something else nowadays, and it's nothing good. Um, but uh, keeping up with the Joneses, basically that idea, that concept, is the idea of, of this family, the, the Joneses, and in your family or, or who you are, you know, culturally, you're, you're trying to, to do the things that they're doing. You're trying to own the things that they own. You're trying to essentially become that family. Uh, when I was younger, the reason I heard it a lot is because uh, my mom called me and my brother out on, on us kind of falling into uh, this keeping up with the Joneses kind of mentality. Uh, there were a lot of times, and, and, and I'll be honest, we actually had a specific family that my mom always compared us to. Uh, that she would always say, you know, you're just trying to keep up with this family. And, and, and it was actually pretty true. It was pretty accurate. Uh, my, me and uh, my little brother, we both had best friends that were, that were in this family. And... To us, it always seemed like uh, maybe their, their house was just a little bit cooler than ours. Uh, maybe their Christmases were a little bit better than ours. I know that's terrible to think, but uh, a lot of times we tended to do that. We tended to, to look at this family that we were close friends with, and we would always say, you know, well, Mom, you know, they have this. They got this. They're able to do this. And, uh, and, again, mom would constantly call us out on that. She would constantly say, you know, you're, you're trying to keep up with them. Um, and that's not, that's not who we are. Uh, what, I, what I'm trying to tell you about this story, or this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, uh, is that a lot of times uh, it's very common for us to compare our lives to the lives of other people. We do this... Quite frequently, I think. I, I, I know that we did it all the time, when I was younger especially. Uh, it's very easy for us to look at our lives and to look at uh, the lives of other people and say, well, you know, they have this. They do this. Uh, they get to, to go to th- this place. They get to own these things. Uh, and, of course, we know that, that it's not good to, to make this comparison. Uh, we know that, that we shouldn't do this. Uh, in fact, I want to look at Galatians chapter 6. And a very simple passage, uh, beginning with verse 2 of Galatians chapter 6. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. I'm actually not going to, to talk about this concept uh, this morning. Uh, I know that I'm kind of heading in that direction, but that's actually not what we're going to talk about. This idea of comparing our lives to the lives of other people. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We know that, we know that it's, it's a problem and that it shouldn't take place. But what I actually want to talk about is this comparison that, that we often have with God. 
we often uh, attempt to... Let me go back here. Oh, I think I left one out. Uh, we, uh, we often place this comparison on God without realizing it. Uh, we tend to, uh, to do this thing where we, where we measure God. Now, what do I mean when, I, when I'm talking about placing uh, comparison on God? Well, as people, as, as humans, as, as who we are, we tend to measure a lot of things. It's very common for us to, to want to understand and know and be familiar with, with the size of something, with, with the weight of something. We want to know what the distance is from here to there, and we want to know the fastest way to get there. Uh, we want to be able to, to understand this measurement of time. We, we judge everything based off the measurement of time. Uh, we, we always use these different measurements. If you look at, I mean, look at food. Look at every single thing that you own in your pantry at home. Chances are on that there is some kind of measurement. Uh, there are a lot of measurements. There is uh, how many ounces the product might be. There's a number of calories that's in it, the number of uh, grams of fat, grams of sugar. Everything is, is measured. And that's the way that we've gotten. We've gotten to where we just, as people, we just have to measure everything. We have to know exactly what this consists of, exactly how much we should expect out of this, out of that. And so, you know, we usually want those, those concrete facts. And as a result of that, we then want to, to use those things to, to compare. You know, this, this item to this item, this, this trip, this distance to this distance. Uh, and it becomes something that we do so commonly and something that we do very, very frequently. And a lot of times, because we're, we're so, uh, we're, we're just ingrained this way, because we want to understand the measurements of something so much, we often try to, to understand the measurements of God. And so we, we measure Him. We try to define Him. We try to, uh, to do our best to, to wrap our minds around Him and say, oh, okay, this is what God is. But when we do that, we measure Him. And when we measure Him, we, we limit Him. I want to look at a passage in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This is, of course, pretty, pretty early on in, in what we learn uh, in the Bible. Uh, this is uh, the Tower of Babel. Uh, this is when a tower is being constructed. Uh, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 11, it reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us uh, build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with, uh, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are only people, and they have all one language, and this is only begin the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us now go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off uh, building the city. 
when we see the Tower of Babel, when we see this take place, uh, what we essentially see here uh, is an attempt at equality with God. They didn't necessarily say, you know, we're going to try and just become God ourselves. They, They didn't say that they were going to do that. But if you look here, what they do specifically say is that they wanted to, to make uh, a name for themselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. What they essentially wanted to do, what they were trying to attempt to do, was basically be self-sufficient. To become a people that did not need God. Uh, they thought, you know, if we all stay together, uh, we, we understand what God wants of us, but what we're going to do is we're going to all stay together. We're going to all build this, uh, this large tower that reaches into the heavens, and, and we're just going to take care of ourselves and just be this people. And by doing that, they were measuring themselves up against God. They were trying to uh, maybe not make themselves unlimited, but limiting God. So they placed these limits on God. They, they were able to say, you know, this is what it takes for us to become equal with God. Now, would they? No, absolutely not. But they believed by, that by doing that, they could do things on their own without Him. I want to look at another passage. Uh, let's turn to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. And here we see, uh, we see Moses uh, currently receiving uh, the words that, that God was giving him, receiving the, the Ten Commandments and, and many other commands for his people. Uh, and so Moses is God at this time, and, uh, and so the people are, are reacting to this, beginning with verse 1 of, of Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain... The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, uh, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Here when we see this, this calf, first of all, it, it, it's, so, it's so crazy to see that everything that had happened up to this point, everything that Moses had done because of God and everything that God had done for these people all the way through this exodus, uh, this freeing of this people and taking them uh, on their way to the promised land. And these people have, have witnessed all of this. And now, because Moses is taking too long up on a mountain, they are now saying, who is, you know, who is this God? And now they're saying, this, this golden image that we've just created, this is the God who has delivered us. And when they do this, when they decide to, to, to look at this golden calf, uh, they're now attempting to, uh, to measure 
There we go. Now attempting to, to measure God's value. They're now at this point basically saying, you know, we've gone through all of this and we've seen everything that God has done for us, but, you know, it's taking too long. Um, and now we need something that, that we can look at, that we can have right in front of us that's, that's there. They're essentially saying that, that God is worth this much of our time. God is worth this much gold to create. God is worth this much of our focus. And obviously, it did not take much before they had given up on him altogether. And of course, I've given you these two examples, but uh, these are not the only times where, where this takes place in the Bible. Uh, all throughout the Bible, we see man place limits on God. We see a lot of different people who, who, who say exactly that. They say, you know, this is how much God is worth. Uh, or or this, is, this is what God is capable of, but no more than that. All throughout the Bible, people continue to place these limits on God. I want to look at uh, two different verses that are, are very, very similar. The first one is in Psalm uh, chapter 111. Psalm 111. And the verse is verse 10. And it reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then another verse I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Very similar here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. A lot of times when we think of uh, fear in general, we think of just this general idea of being afraid of something. We, we generally think of, you know, like a fear of, of spiders or snakes or something like that. This, this kind of just have nothing, you don't want to have, to have anything to do with it kind of fear. But what this fear is, is referring to, uh, this fear of God, fearing God, is this idea of having a, a reverence and an awe toward Him. This idea of, uh, of placing God much higher than yourself. Uh, of being able to, to take Him and place Him up. Uh, because essentially what, what all of this is saying to us is that to fear God is to raise Him up immeasurably. It's to put Him uh, not at a, on a pedestal that is this many feet high. Because again, as we think through this, if I were told you, uh, you know, to place God on this pedestal, you would react and think in your mind, well, how high would that pedestal be? Again, we're, we're placing these measurements on God. And I know that it's hard for us not to, uh, we are only human. But this idea of fearing God is to put Him up immeasurably, beyond the idea of what we can even comprehend. Because fearing God means understanding that there are no limits to what God is capable of. There are no limits to, to what God can do, has done, and, and will continue to do for us. And what I want to do 
right now is, is I want to read several different verses for you. Uh, I'm just going to flip through these quickly and, uh, and kind of share these different verses with you. But these are different verses. Of course, this is not all of them by any means. But a few different verses that show us exactly how far beyond us God really is. How immeasurable the Lord truly is in our lives. The first one that I want to look at is in Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40, it reads, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His understanding is unsearchable. We're going to move down to uh, Isaiah chapter 55, beginning with verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher. Moving on to uh, the book of Job. The book of Job. Beginning uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 14 of Job. It reads, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power who can understand? All that we see from God is a whisper of His power. Uh, how can we even understand? Uh, how can we understand His full power, the full measure of His power? It's it's completely beyond us. And now I want to turn to uh, the Book of Psalms, Psalm chapter eight. In Psalm chapter 8, beginning with verse 3, it says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? God has created all of this, everything that we can see, and yet he is still mindful and watchful over us. Psalm chapter 90 In Psalm chapter 90, beginning with verse 4, it says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday. Another thing that we, we commonly do is, is we question this idea of God and time and how, how He correlates to that, how He's able to do what He, is, uh, what he does within the span of time. But we have to understand that God has this dominion over time. Uh, time does not have power over Him. And the final one I want to look at is Psalm uh, 147. Psalm 147. Verse 5, it reads, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. His understanding is beyond measure. 
A lot of times in our, uh, every, every week, uh, we have a, a Monday night Bible study. Uh, we try to have them almost every week uh, for, for our youth. And a lot of times, we'll start off with a certain topic and, and, and we'll end up talking about this idea of, of, of what does God, what all does God know? What all, how, you know, how are we able to uh, to be able to, to go about life in this way and still God has knowledge of all these things. Uh, where is the power of God, uh, you know, where does it end? Uh, and we end up talking a lot about this idea of trying to just understand the, the limits or, or just how far the power of God really goes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, with questioning this idea or trying to, trying to comprehend this. Or even just trying to, to fathom the idea of what God really is capable of. But when we really try to comprehend, when we try to say, okay, I'm going to put this exact definition on God, when we, when we try to fully comprehend Him, that's when we, we define Him. That's when we, we give Him a definite. And when we define God... We limit him. When we try to fully define who he is, what he's capable of, what he's done for us, and what he will do, we place limits on him. Because again, we, we have limits. We as people, we, we are not uh, immeasurable. We are not unlimited. But at the same time, we, we can't place these limits on our God. You see, what we have to do is be God-fearing. We have to be able to have this reverence and awe that is immeasurable, that is beyond what we can measure. Because if we do not fear Him, we do not know Him. If we do not have this genuine fear, uh, this reverence and awe for who He is and for what He does, we cannot truly know who He is. Because we have to understand that he is beyond measure. He's beyond something that we can measure. However, it's very interesting to, to note that God did allow himself to be measured. Um, he, he allowed himself to be measured by us. He made this, this choice not, not for himself, but he made this choice for us to, to come to earth and to very quickly be measured, to very quickly be, be placed in these categories and these measurements and, and be uh, limited, to allow people to look at him and, and limit him uh, any way that they desire to. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to reread the, the passage that, that Matt read for us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we go back and look at the life of Christ, he was often quickly thought to be inadequate. Uh, he, he was from uh, one of the, the lowest towns and the lowest places um, and, and often was looked at saying, you know, what good can, can a man that comes from this place ha- possibly have? Uh, what could even come from this man? He was often limited, looked at as the, the lowest of low. But even while he was on this earth, even while he was measured physically and sized up to be nothing important, he showed to to these people, he showed immeasurable humility. He showed immeasurable grace and mercy. And although so many people were were not receptive of him, so many people uh, looked at him and and continued to, to look the other way and think nothing of him, he still continued to, to show these qualities, these, uh, these attributes, immeasurably. And yet, through all of this, they still continue to, to place these limits on him. They continue to, to measure him for who they thought he was. And because of that, he was, he was crucified. Because of that, he, he died. But he died for us. And when he did this, uh, by choosing to, to allow himself to be so measured and put so low, placed so much lower than, than those around him, by doing this, he showed us immeasurable love. He showed the, the love that, that he had for, for all these people. And as we think and we look back, we we even tend to say, well, how far can that love go? How far can this love, you know, really go? I mean, you know, it can only go so far and then he's got to be, you know, he's, he's got to change his mind and say, okay, this is far enough. But again, that's, that's where we're limited because this love is completely immeasurable. And he chose to give it to us regardless of what we did to him when he chose to allow himself to be measured. I want to be honest with you. I, I feel like this is something, that, um, this is something that, that I have trouble with quite often. Uh, it's very difficult for me a lot of times to, uh, to decide the point between when, when, when I feel like I need to be in control of something and when I feel like God needs to be in control of something. And a lot of times when we make that decision for, for us to, to take the responsibility of something or when we decide that this is going to be a better direction uh, than this way, when we do that and we, and we take those, that ownership on ourselves, that's when we place those measurements on God. When we believe that, that what we're capable of doing can outweigh what God is capable of doing. 
But we have to look back. We have to look at, at what God truly is, of what all He's capable of, and what Christ has done for us. Christ has shown us this immeasurable love. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you place limits on God? Do you think that, that you know what is best for you? Uh, do you think that, that you're more in control of your own life than you allow God to be? Do you place measurements on, on what God receives from you? Do you say, well, God deserves this much of my time. God deserves this much of, uh, of my focus. God deserves this much of what I'm going to give him. Because again, when we place those limits on ourselves, we decide to place those limits on him. We put these measurements on God. Do you place limits on God? We have to understand that uh, we can never understand Him. I know that's kind of a, a weird way to say that, but we, we have to be accepting and understanding of the fact that, that we'll never fully comprehend what He is capable of. But I think it's better for us to, to have that idea, to be able to say, I don't know exactly what God is going to do, but I trust Him because, because He is all-knowing, because He is all-powerful, because He is always present. He is always here, and He knows us. Uh, one of the verses we even looked at, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God knows what is best for us. And though we cannot understand it, we need to understand that we won't understand Because the second, the second that we accept the Lord as anything less than everything is when we limit Him. The second we accept the Lord as anything less than everything, that's when we place those limits on Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've, you've placed these limits on God. You feel like you've kind of taken uh, this, this precedence, like you've kind of uh, haven't put Him in a reverent position. Maybe you feel like you're the one that's on this pedestal instead of God. Or maybe you haven't, you haven't yet decided to, to allow God to be the most important thing in your life, to, to allow Him to be this immeasurable God that He truly is. And you need, to, you need to be a part of His church. You need to be baptized. You need to accept Christ. Regardless, we give you that opportunity to, uh, to let that be known now. Uh, if there's anything that, that we can do for you, whether it be for prayers or encouragement, or to make that decision to become part of Christ. And we invite you to do so now as we stand.